0: Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncombe, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Mia Pacey. Mia is a Salesforce administrator based out of Sydney, Australia, and is also the recent recipient of the Golden Hoodie at a recent Salesforce event in Sydney. So through the episode, we heard more about what Pia initially had planned to do with her career and how she found her way into her current organization, which is Surf Lifesaving New South Wales. We then discussed how she came to know of Salesforce and how she found her way ...into working with the Salesforce platform with her current company and how that journey has evolved. We look at what advice she has for others who may be looking to find their way onto a Salesforce project in the company that they work for... ...and then look at some of the different products and tools that she's had exposure to and how she found each of them to pick up and if some were more challenging than others... We look at her role of managing two Salesforce orgs, one of which is in the not-for-profit space and the other is commercial, and we look at the complexities between the two. And then we discuss the Salesforce community, how she got engaged and started building her brand within the ecosystem and building her network, and what some of her highlights have been so far, which then leads us on to how it felt to win the golden hoodie, and if she was prepared for receiving that and then discuss the plans she has for the Women in Tech user group over the coming months and who can get value from this. So a great episode, really great to catch up with Mia. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Thank you very much for joining us, Mia. Really excited to chat and hear more about your journey. So yeah, thanks for being a guest.
1: Thanks Ben, thanks for having me. I'm really excited.
0: My pleasure. So uh, I always like to look backwards before we look to the current times. And I'd like to, obviously we know you as the golden hoodie winner recently and and a true trailblazer, but what was life like before Salesforce and what did you kind of want to do when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I definitely didn't come from a tech background. I came through as wanting to be a physiotherapist actually. So when I was at school, I was an elite athlete, went to a whole bunch of national games for swimming and thought I wanted to be a physio because I saw them mostly every week and that's where I pretty much went. And so I went to Sydney University to to study physiotherapy, but I quickly realized that I'm not the hands-on person I realized what I thought I was. And so I was more analytically minded. And so I went into something that I was already passionate about, which is life-saving. And I went to work for them just as a sales rep, just in the interim to kind of figure out where I was going in life. I didn't have a gap year or anything. So I went straight from school to uni. So I was still kind of growing up and ended up being there. I'm there. I've been at surf now for over seven years and I love it here. And I was selling our first aid training and our equipment to members in the community to raise awareness, obviously for the the movement and the charity I work for. But I realized that I did like doing all the nitty gritty bits about changing software, maintaining the databases that we had And then when it came to talking about how do we maintain this, how do we grow, how do we keep things in the databases private and all those new features coming out of digital transformation now. And I realized I did actually want to learn more about it. So when our system actually came into Salesforce, that's where it even came into my life. I didn't know it before then. So at that point, when you say it
0: came into Salesforce, was it the, the company was about to implement Salesforce or were you just a, you, at that point, you were a user of Salesforce? Like how did you first discover the platform?
1: Well, we were actually went out to kind of tender and have a look around and Salesforce came into the organization as something that we would want to use. And before we dove into it, I guess we w- we did want to know if this was going to work for us because we don't really want to do things again. And that's when I kind of went out on my own and said I would learn a bit more about it. And actually, coincidentally, was when the boot camp was happening up at the Gold Coast, which you went to as well. And yep. that's where I went. And we hadn't actually become a customer yet, but it was a bit of a professional development, a bit of research, you might say. And that's where I kind of started it. So it was definitely professionally driven, but I wanted to do it personally as well.
0: Was there an existing IT team at that point? Like, were you were you uh, putting your hand up as a salesperson still, or were you doing a bit of the IT stuff anyway?
1: I was purely a salesperson, full time. Actually, our top performing salesperson, but I was also the go to to fix the systems that we had. And I say systems very loosely, because it was just very um yeah, just basic. But no, we didn't have a standard IT team. We had an external service provider to help with our printers. But in not-for-profit, you wear many hats. So I guess everyone's very used to saying, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. And that's
0: what I did. Sure. Nice. So you were off you went to the Gold Coast. How did you find that? And what were the kind of initial steps in that journey after coming back from the Gold Coast?
1: The boot camp was as, an, as a change like it was almost like going back to uni it was a lot of studying especially since I hadn't even been into a live org before a lot of the people there were already users so they had a big edge on me and so it was definitely a learning curve but I failed the first exam which they do before you even walk in the door to do boot camp and then passed the second one which is on the last day and went home and was like right guys let's do this <laughs> but it didn't happen that quickly I guess
0: yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I, as you said, I was at the boot camp as well. I was surprised they did the the certification on the first day. Um, yeah. And I'd I'd previously attempted the certification um, like maybe two years before that and fouled back then. And and somehow I don't know how, but I passed on the first day. And then I stupidly saw the rest of the week as a bit of a party and woke up hungover too much a few times. <laughs> so um, so then fouled the app builder on the final day. But I mean, the, the whole experience was really really great. That the classroom training was was so good in comparison to to just doing Trowhead on your own or um having those people in the room to to really um bounce off of and, and pick their brains was great.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. And I think they even like made the topics I think there's a rap out there about security. Um, yeah. so I really, really loved. And I still talk to the the trainers that I had for the day and they still support me on Twitter and help me out for my advanced admin. So, so Yeah, yeah. nice.
0: No. So then you your back, as you said, didn't kind of kick off as as quickly as it maybe could have or you would have liked, but um, what was the like going from being certified to then kind of
1: the point where you are now? What's that journey look like? It was definitely so, but it was something that I really did know I wanted to do. So it was either stick it out or I guess find somewhere else where you could use my skills. But obviously, my love is with surf, so I wanted to stick it out, and we ended up signing with Salesforce and purchasing Sales Cloud, CPQ, Einstein Inbox, Padot for a few of like so for our commercial side of the business. The charity side of the business that um, works directly with our members already had Sales Cloud, but they weren't utilizing it, so they had kind of almost forgotten they even had it until I came back and was like, hey let me tinker around. I know more about this. And that's kind of when we kicked off with a partner, I also helped out with the charity side of the business to start reinventing or relooking at what they had actually started with.
0: Nice. Yeah. So started to get some return on investment for that, I guess. Yeah, that's right. So what advice would you have for other people that might be in a business that is about to do a Salesforce project for the first time or because a lot of people would want to find their way onto the project, but it can be difficult right? if you're not from an IT background or you don't have experience having done it before. So um, I appreciate in the not-for-profit space, it's a little bit different because like you said, you wear multiple hats and, and ultimately yeah, there's a little bit more flexibility with uh, with moving cross department and things. But um, how would you advise someone shows that they're ready or, or willing to take on that challenge?
1: It's definitely something that I did struggle with was obviously that confidence piece, knowing that you're good enough as well is something that you have to overcome and just take the leap. But I had come to the decision that I did want to do something like this, whether it be with purely Salesforce or a lot of the systems that we had in place. I took it to my managers and said, this is the direction I wanted to go. This is where I see myself in the future can you back this, was pretty much the conversation because ultimately they knew they were going to get a system, they knew they had to maintain it, and was this the best option for them, having someone internally in-house that already knew the back-end processes, already knew the business flows and the way the team worked. That is probably the better decision than going out and finding an external professional that has proven in their career, but yet you have to teach them all of the back-end knowledge, all of the business processes, all the little niches between your team communications, that would take more time than someone like me just upskilling. And obviously I'd be cheaper too because I started from a junior role so they wouldn't have to outlay so much just to give it a go. And obviously the benefit is in my favour and the benefit's in their favour. So that's the angle I came from. I came from I already know you, I already know us, let's give this a go. It's better for you and cheaper in the long run. And that's ultimately how I got my foot in the door to start with working closely with the partner we had chosen. Yeah, nice. And uh, I know there's a saying, like, if you find
0: something you're passionate about, you'll never work another day in your life. It sounds like you found two things and they've kind of combined, right? So Salesforce and Surf Life Saving. So is it just like the dream job now for you in that it's the platform that you're enjoying, but also the company that you wanted to work for anyway?
1: Yeah, you could say that. I definitely bleed red than yellow. I've been in surf now for almost 17 years. I've been in all capacities. Been I still sit on the beach for six hours a day, multiple weekends a year for volunteer services only. So it's definitely something I do as a volunteer. Professionally, I definitely want to be in this role, whether it's something that I can kind of see myself doing in the surf life-saving capacity is something that is a future thought. Everyone should be upskilling themselves. So I definitely prioritize my professional learning as well, is how much more can I learn? And that's what I want to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in terms of upskilling, um you you came into this, obviously
0: you you had been from a sales background, you're, you're not an IT person as as they would say or historically. So from a, a tool or a product perspective, what, what kind of came easy to you picking up? So like was Sales Cloud easier than CPQ as an example? Or And then also from a tools perspective, so like flows and, and process builder and, and things like that, are there things that were just natural and easier to pick up for you and things that took a
1: bit more time? So definitely I I can see that the sales cloud and the CPQ piece came really easy to me knowledge-wise. So I understand the concepts. I understand where and why it was built like that. Learning the CPQ intricacies and niches because it came from a different product that Salesforce purchased. It has so many unique features about it that don't, for instance, work with process builder. It has to work on its own. So in learning those intricacies was difficult, but I utilized a lot of Salesforce and Trailhead for that, and I'm probably most proud of learning CPQ because it is something that's fairly new as well. Pardot came quite difficult to me because I'm not a marketer, so I'm not someone that goes, oh, if I use this language or this imagery would be reflective for this type of customer. I'm not that person, so I find that quite difficult to make it look pretty because I'm quite analytical, And then Service Cloud was quite easy to understand as well, because we're in the service space, being a sales rep and things like that. So I definitely think that if you're coming from a selling background, you'd understand the concepts around CPQ and Sales Cloud and service pretty quickly. But learning the intricacies of flow and CPQ will be the difficult part. Sure. I was looking at your YouTube
0: channel yesterday and I, saw the, um, I saw the, it was like case management and you can use an image. And it's like you were using it for open or closed, and yeah. uh, like I, I had no idea you could do that. And I, I don't use standard um, Salesforce; I use a, a modified, like an App Exchange version for recruitment. So we we don't use opportunities, but we have vacancies. And I'm just looking at it thinking like that would be amazing for me. But I had no idea you could do that. And that that I think it's really just about being open to learning, right? And looking at things like that. And there's so much information out there that if you're committed to learning, like you can learn it. It just takes a bit of time. So did you find that as well, like with Pardot as an example, if it didn't come naturally, like do you feel that everything can be learned in the Salesforce ecosystem?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anything's out of anyone's reach. I think everything can be learned. It just takes your personal determination and probably your personal like how you learn. So if I learn by watching, I guess, YouTube videos and watching someone else take me through it, like in Trailhead videos, so if those things weren't available to me, I probably wouldn't learn it as easy. So to know how you learn is probably the first step. Do you learn by reading things and then find those documentations so that you give yourself the best ability to learn the new topic that you get. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're you're in quite a unique position at the moment because you you look after two orgs in one business, and one is for a not-for-profit side of the business, and one another is commercial. So you know, typically people are either look working in commercial or not-for-profit, and you're exposed to both different businesses at once. How do you find the complexity between the two? Like, is one more complex than the other just because of the way you're using the platform? And does it have to be, or, or could you find that? You know, in another way, another company in the not-for-profit space might be more complex than commercial.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So we are set up as commercial and not-for-profit, but we are both a, um, ACNC registered not-for-profit. So what our commercial arm does, it actually goes out and provides fee-for-service first aid training, for instance, and then all the revenue that comes back into the organization will go directly over to funding the equipment purchase, for instance, for the beach and the lifesavers. So that's where the commercial and the charitable sides communicate, is that funds transfer of how much we can bring in and then how much we can give back to the volunteers. So the communication piece doesn't happen in Salesforce. They are two separate orgs. So, it is pretty much double the workload when you do have those two different Salesforce instances. The complexity sits around automation, for instance. That's where it gets a bit complex. And then the products. So, commercially, that side of the business is ultimately more complex because you've got the CPQ part, the part op part as well connected to campaigns, and ultimately sales reps using more of a sales pipeline. So, coming from lead using. The generic objects all the way through to closing out a quote. The not for profit side could be very complex in a different organization. It just depends on how much you want to make it easy to declaratively manage. And I always would be declaratively minded first. So let's do that one first so that we don't have to get those external developers in if we needed. We can have the confidence that in house a not for profit team could manage it because. Salesforce shouldn't be daunting to the not-for-profits out there because it is manageable. I mean, coming from our own experience is that we didn't have the resources and we didn't have the budget for Salesforce pretty much, but because Salesforce gives you those 10 free licenses for -for not-for-profits, you're able to go in and actually see, can we manage this? Can we create something that's not so complex and an in-house admin or even a part-time admin can manage? I know... I've seen a few not-for-profit colleagues out there that do Salesforce admin as a part-time role. So that's probably a not-so-complex org and maybe just content management or resource management. But if you're going to have two instances that have completely different goals, then ultimately one will probably be more complex.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I mean, I hate to see it for any company, not just not-for-profits, but when someone has heavily coded a platform and it didn't need to be, and then they find them in the, themselves in the position of having to upkeep and maintain that. But especially for not-for-profits, because typically, you know, budgets are tied to their using that money for good causes. And, um, and yeah, I speak to not-for-profits that have, have had someone hard code their system. And, and in one instance, at the moment, one of my clients is having to replace Salesforce uh, with another Salesforce org, like completely start a game. So yeah, I think the, the message there is it can be complex, but it doesn't need to be um, if you have the right people as well, right? Because having the right people that know what to do and and how to get the most out of the platform from a declarative perspective is Uh, always going to be better.
1: And that's why it came into uh, choosing our partner and how you set up your org in the first place. If the partner asks you straight up, like, do you have the resources? Are you willing to put the resources into managing this yourself in-house with a developer and admin team? And if the answer is no, they need to honour that and they need to build it based on what you do have as a resource. And not-for-profit partners out there understand what the challenges are and what you'd face. Cause we said, yes, we have an in-house admin. And so we built it declaratively. So I could manage it going forward. And I think that's really important when you do choose an integration partner is where are your priorities and will they stick to them? Sure.
0: So what, when did you start getting heavily involved in the ecosystem? Was the Gold Coast the the kind of first step into that world or, or did it take some time for you to really start kind of embracing
1: the Ohana? I think the Gold Coast was, Amazing. Like it was just everything you'd want out of Trailhead and everything you want out of a a community-based event. I definitely thrived there. I made a few friends there, but I didn't then connect with a lot of people. I'm quite shy when it comes to connecting and being the person in the room that talks to you. I will probably watch and then wait and see where I fit in. So that person to person events, I didn't really attend too much. Also being not for profit, I don't have time um, just to take a few hours out of my day to do that. I would have to do it off books time. So I didn't really thrive until we got locked down. And when we got locked down, a lot of things went virtual. And I was like, this is my jam. (laughs) I can sit behind a computer and meet some new people and be in kind of my safe place. And that's what I did. I attended a whole bunch of events that were not in my time zone. So, for instance, I went to Washington, D.C. and attended their Women in Tech group. And I went to the Hawaii one. That was probably just selfishly wanted to be in Hawaii. But <laughs> I made some fun friends in Hawaii that I still talk to today. And that was really where I started saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to share. Um, and when my YouTube channel was born as well, was in lockdown because I saw that there was a need for CPQ in Australia, and I couldn't find any other videos that were very useful. So definitely in the community, I wanted to give back, and found a couple of ways to do that.
0: Yeah, nice. So let's talk about that golden hoodie over um, your your shoulder. Um, and people that aren't watching this uh, and are just listening, you've got a, a great setup there with all your Southport swag. But yeah, talk talk to me about that. Finding out that you had been awarded the Golden Hoodie and what that felt like, but also how much you knew about that in the build up.
1: I knew zero, and it was me coming to a studio to do the Salesforce Word to a Live taping, and it was the first in person event that was filmed in person, I should say. And so they were taping a few things ahead of time just to make sure that COVID didn't affect the tour and so I was coming to explain the not-for-profit journey that we had and how we came and use Salesforce and that was all I knew and so I was only talking about our business and then when Leandro actually went off script I kind of lost my mind because I'm, I'm very analytical as I said a few times I just want to know what's happening and what's going on next and that's when I tried it kind of like lost all blood from my face <laughs> and Megan came around from the corner and presented the golden hoodie to me, which I didn't know what to say and got really awkward. So there goes Mia. <laughs>
0: so it's one of those things, right? Unless you've prepared something, I like I, I hate surprises to the point I don't even like people giving me like birthday presents and stuff because I just, I don't know how to react. Like unless, yeah, I, I can't like fake my feelings either. So obviously you would have been really excited, but if you don't know what to say you don't know what to say it's really tough
1: yeah and I think I my boss makes fun of it to this day that I said this is ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) But that's the first thing I came to my head because it was so shiny
0: yeah yeah (laughs) Um, and
1: yes I knew nothing
0: does it come out of its case much
1: I got a direct message on Twitter from everyone that does the um, hashtag life with Goldie. Someone messages you and says, this is the washing instructions for your golden hoodie. (laughs) Um, And they said, yeah, it's probably best stored not on a hanger. And so that's why I was like, well, I don't know where else to put it. I'll just put it in a box on the shelf. And then Astro with a golden hoodie as well goes on the shelf on top. So that's what I did.
0: And uh, and obviously now you are you're running the the Sydney Women in Tech group, and I think that's going to continue to be a, a virtual event. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so we're keeping it virtual. or the majority of meetings virtual. We may have something that's a joint meeting but we definitely want to keep something available for women out there or anyone out there that can meet virtually still. So we don't want to exclude anyone. And we found that there's a bit of a niche in the COVID time that some people actually do still like virtual. So we're definitely prioritizing virtual meetings, but yeah, in-person is not off the cards, but we definitely want to keep it available. And what's coming up in the group and who can get value from the group? So one of my favorite ones coming up is actually called Things That Make You Go, Hmm. And it's an event in the 2nd of July, and we're talking about org confessions. So bring things that make you go, Hmm, like if you've opened (laughs) up your org and you've seen something and you're like, I don't know why that's there. Um, that's what we want to just talk about and make it bring it back home to make sure everyone realises that everyone's in the same boat. We've all had these events pop out and kind of just live and learn best practices or, oh, I found this, but this is what I should have done if I didn't do it. But we're trying to keep it anonymous. And then in the future, we're looking at having a whole bunch of range of topics. It might be around mental health and well-being. It could be uh, connecting with another women in tech group, maybe in the states, around Dreamforce time. But yeah, that's what's coming up.
0: Nice. My things that make you go hmm. I for like maybe five years had individual pick lists for job titles. So I oh, use yeah. that on the I use it on the candidate record, which is uh, the object for we have a people record. And we have candidates and clients. So we have a, um, a job title on that for what is the candidate's job title. And it could be, uh, it's actually a multi-select. I know people don't like them, but a, you know, a developer might also be able to do a technical architect role in some cases. So we would have two. We have it on the client record as well. And then also on the vacancy record, because we need to have a, a pick list on the, the vacancy record. And for five years, I was updating each of them individually. I had no idea there was such thing as a global pick list. So uh, it wasn't until someone told me, and you know, I was like, I've literally, every time Salesforce renamed a product as well, I was updating it in three places. Uh, at least it's uh, just three. Uh, yeah, yeah, it could be worse, but still it was frustrating.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a few things that make you go, hmm, I think I read one that someone came across a formula field that was just today, and it was literally just the formula today on every record. I think that's on all confessions is number one, but I, <laughs> I definitely lolled at that one but that, yeah there's a few ones but we'd like to keep them anonymous just in case everyone doesn't want to feel like they want to share it could be a friend of a friend that you heard it from so sure. bring them all
0: absolutely and if anyone wants to uh, reach out pick your brains or hear more about the, the group and um, where's the best best place to contact you
1: yeah you can hit me up on twitter i'm at pacey mia and also check out my linkedin and, and ask to connect definitely
0: and the youtube channel Don't
1: leave that out. My my YouTube channel is uh, Pace Yourself. Uh, It's not very known out there, but I definitely do Salesforce CPQ. So if you're looking through Salesforce CPQ stuff, I'll be there. as Pace Yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really, really good to catch up. And uh, yeah, look
0: forward to the next Women in Tech event.
1: Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. And um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.